This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. For listening to In Legal Terms. Uh, this is the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. For our live broadcast, we're going to play some snippets of songs that have copyright issues. And Jay, can you pull up those uh, first three? Right now we've got. Uh, Vanilla Ice and Queen, Robin Thicke and Marvin Gaye, and George Harrison and the Chiffons. Well, hello, Professor Gershon, and why did I just play all of those music clips? Well, good morning, Liz. Um, Will you play those music clips? Because today we're going to talk about copyrights and whether music is stolen or original um, with our friend and my former colleague, uh, my wonderful former colleague, Professor Stacy Lantain, who has moved up to Western New England School of Law. And um, but through through technology, we can bring her on the show again. And we're so happy to have her back on on uh, the show to talk about intellectual property and particularly copyrights and, and music, uh, you know, something we have done before. Uh, Professor Lantain is an expert in intellectual property law, copyrights and trademarks, and she's also a published author. Good morning, Professor Lantain. How are you? And uh, please tell us a little bit about your background. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful that technology has made the world small enough for me to be with you, even though I'm about a thousand miles away. Um, So my background is in intellectual property law, which is a field of law that deals mainly with three things. copyrights, trademarks, and patents. And today we're going to be focusing on copyright law. Each of those covers um, a particular thing. I feel like that's important to start out with because you will see the media use them all interchangeably as if they are synonyms and they are not from a legal point of view. Um, So my specialty is actually copyright law um, as far as scholarship goes. And I focus my scholarship on fan fiction and internet memes, but I also teach entertainment law. So I do a lot of teaching of music copyright. So that's what I'll be here talking about today. Fantastic. And it's interesting because Liz mentioned that the live show will be doing these clips, but not on the podcast. Why would that be? I'm assuming that Liz has a lawyer somewhere that told her to do that. There are, it's, it's complicated because music is, co- is covered by copyright law. Um, there are things that you can do with music and things that you cannot do with music, and they tend to be uh, extremely technical. There are statutory exceptions um, that say you can definitely do this with music. Um, but they tend to be really narrowly drawn. And then there are really fuzzy things that you can do this also with music. And that tends to be really fuzzy. And many lawyers are risk averse in this area and will advise their clients to do things that 
I and my scholarship would probably argue is totally okay, but I'm also aware I'm not the one putting myself out there at risk of getting sued. I actually almost failed the copyright test that the University of Mississippi gave to me when I had to do online learning because they were extremely conservative in their understanding of what copyright law did. And I kept answering wrong and failing the quiz. <laughs> and it was a little <laughs> embarrassing for me that I couldn't pass the copyright quiz considering I teach copyright law. Well, I mean, it's such a fun topic. You and I were talking before the show about how people think tax is, is technical and, and also very complicated. Guys, but tax really is not. the most straightforward <laughs> area of law. <laughs> it really is. It really is. But this is not. And so let's no. talk a little bit about I, I, what, what got us interested in this was the recent trial involving Ed Sheeran. Um, and remind, I mean, tell us a little bit about how that all evolved and what what came of that case. Yeah. So the deal with copyright, copyright is the the piece of intellectual property that protects creativity, as you probably are thinking about creativity just in your head when we think about people being creative. So it protects books, it protects movies, it protects songs and music. Um, so every... And music is complicated because music has two sets of copyrights. There's a copyright that protects the underlying musical composition. So the song as you would buy it on a piece of sheet music, right? And then there's also a different copyright that protects a particular sound recording. So Ed Sheeran's sound recording of Thinking Out Loud is protected by a different copyright than protects the sheet music of Thinking Out Loud. Um, now, Ed Sheeran happens to have written that song and performed that song. So he owns the copyright for both, but sometimes those are split. If you have a singer who has not written the song, that singer might, well, the music, the record label more likely would own the copyright to the sound recording. And the person who wrote the song would still own the sheet music. The reason I'm making such a big deal about this is because um, sound recordings were not actually covered by copyright until 1971, I think is the effective date. Um, so when we talk about music before then, we're really only talking about sheet music copyright, which is relevant to a lot of these disputes that we're having, including the Ed Sheeran one. Ed Sheeran wrote a song called Thinking Out Loud. Ed Sheeran was sued by some of the heirs of some of the people who wrote um, Let's Get It On, made famous by Marvin Gaye. And um, there was some dispute about what the parameters of the copyright covered. Did it cover the sound recording of Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On? Did it just cover the sheet music? What did the sheet music say? How detailed was the sheet music? Putting all of that aside, they basically sued Ed Sheeran for a copyright infringement of Let's Get It On. Um, and Ed Sheeran recently won a jury verdict that found that he did not infringe upon Let's Get It On. And that was that went on for years. This was a very, very long case with a lot of moving parts getting into it. So, so do copyrights last forever? Copyrights, to the average human lifespan, it is as if copyrights last forever because they last for the life of the author, the person who created the thing, plus an additional 70 years after that. So for all intents and purposes, all of the stuff being created today, we will never see it out of copyright. We are we are going to die. It's not We're not going to live long enough to see it out of copyright. But it doesn't last forever. Things do go out of copyright. Um, the Great Gatsby just went out of copyright last year. Mickey Mouse will be going out of copyright, I think, next year. Um, you, uh, Sherlock Holmes is now out of copyright, right? Things fall out of copyright. It just takes such a long time for that to happen that when we're talking about music, certainly music that you were going to hear played on the radio is all still existing under some kind of of copyright, right? Like Gilbert and Sullivan 
I think is no longer in copyright. I'm not a I'm not an expert on Gilbert and Sullivan, but I'm pretty sure that we're talking about 19th century stuff. So that stuff's all free, free to use. But the stuff that you're listening to on the radio, Marvin Gaye, still is under copyright. Well, and when you spoke to the uh, written sheet music copyright versus the sound recording, I guess that's exactly where we get Taylor's version of all of her albums that she's currently re-recording. That is exactly right. Thank you so much, Taylor Swift, for doing this, because that is now the example that I use in class before she started doing this. This was very difficult for people to grasp. And you're right. Now Taylor's out there re-recording all of her music. The thing with Taylor Swift, she is a singer. She is also a songwriter. So she has written the music. So she owns the copyright to her compositions. She has also recorded the music. Those copyrights to the sound recordings were not owned by her. That's pretty typical. Those were owned by her record label. They sold them off to, is it Scooter Braun, who she has the big fight with? Um, She's not happy about that. She can re-record those because she still has all of the copyright to the underlying musical compositions, the songs that she wrote, because she is the original songwriter. She can go out. She can make her own version all that her record label ever owned was the first, that particular sound recording that she made first. But she still possesses the copyright to the underlying song, and that's why she can do all of her Taylor's version things. Send us your email questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing copyrights in music with our guest, Professor Stacy Lantang. You just heard some snippets of Spirit in Led Zeppelin's Beginning of Stairway to Heaven and back and forth of Ed Sheeran and Marvin Gaye. But this is not the top 40 or the oldies, greatest oldies. Say, Liz, do you feel like a true live DJ there <laughs> now? This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can find the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. We are so grateful that Professor Stacy Ling Tang from Western New England School of Law was able to join us today. She's been a partner with us before talking about NFTs, genetic testing, memes, and other intellectual property. I'm going to have a link to those podcasts on the information for this show, because today we're talking about copyrights in music. We've got a couple of phone calls that we're going to go to. First is Fletch in Ridgeland. Fletch, we're so glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Good morning. Yes, a couple of questions. This is pretty intriguing to me, um, and I think Jay's going to like one of these questions. So is there some type of statute related to uh if not sampling in a song, sampling, say, on a bump, the bump music in and out of a break on the radio, or is there a length of time where you would not be liable to pay anything if you used it like for baseball in a walkout song, where they walk out to the mound or walk out to bat? Yeah, so usually on venues like that, what they do is they have kind of a blanket license from um, there are these clearinghouses like ASCAP and BMI you may have heard of and a live venue of well a venue that is performing live music like that that is you know gonna like a baseball stadium they have a blanket license that is covering all of the music that they are going to play and they just have that license and they play it and they really don't think twice about it right because they've got the license and they can play it and those license terms 
can be tweaked, can be whatever they want it to be. There is no length of time under which copyright law is like, yeah, if you only play 10 seconds, you're cool. We don't care. Um, that's the thing that you will see floating around the internet. It's not a true statement. The less you play, the less likely it is that a, that a copyright holder will care, right? And so to that extent, that that's helpful to know. But it is not true that you don't have to pay for anything that's under 10 seconds. Um, so for radio stations, they probably have a blanket license going on where they know that they have this bank of songs that they can go to, that they can play over the radio that might not cover over onto the internet and the live streaming, because that's going to be handled differently, right? That there are all different ways that the license gets divvied up. Interesting. Any idea you think when the music industry started making like baseball and football arenas paying for the, the stadium rock that they would play? It's probably been decades. Um, I know, I would think in the 19, we redid the Copyright Act in 1976, and I'm pretty sure that put the licensing scheme into effect for sound recordings. And it was probably already in effect for the musical composition. So the venues have to pay two people. They have to pay the copyright holders to the original song, the songwriters, and they also have to pay the copyright holders for the sound recording they're performing if they are performing a sound recording um and so the songwriters were probably being paid that they they had their copyrights since like 1909 so they were probably paying the writers the whole time and then um the sound recordings probably came into play in 1976 interestingly the radio still only has to pay the underlying songwriters radio does not pay terrestrial radio does not pay sound recordings that's historical because they didn't pay for many years and they didn't want to and they kind of got that grandfathered in wow wow that's amazing that's amazing um and you, you mentioned kudos to taylor swift for doing what she's doing to get back at those people with her intellectual property and kudos to fellow mississippi and willie dixon and vicksburg for making uh led zeppelin finally pay up for their uh copyright infringement essentially yeah i don't really know so i don't know that particular case but if they paid up for copyright yeah, infringement, Willie good Dixon, for him. Willie Dixon Blues Man uh, uh, wrote uh, perhaps half the songs on uh, Zeppelin One that they they oh. put their own twist on and redid, but but they were almost exact copies. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, that really. Is. Yeah. Thanks, Fletch. And by the way, to his point, I I, I was uh, live streaming a uh, minor league soccer match two weeks ago uh, in the pregame. Uh, and it got flagged and taken down off Facebook Live because of the PA music that was playing live over the speaker in the background. And, and, and it was and it was flagged in two countries. I don't know which ones. Hopefully not the U.S. That's kind of all of our market. But <laughs> but nonetheless, in two countries, nope, no more. And unfortunately, sometimes that happens in, when it should not happen, when you have a valid license and it still gets flagged because that's artificial intelligence for you, folks. Not not as smart as you might hope. For well, see, that's what I was like. Oh, it hurt. It's, just, it's hearing that music. And I was like, I don't know. What am I going to do about that? I can't stop the music <laughs> from playing out in the air. So, uh, oh, well. Well, isn't that's also we're veering off course, uh, uh, but it, that's also why I've heard some police officers will play Disney songs at traffic stops because then if someone films the traffic stop and tries to put it on YouTube, Disney will take it down because the AI notices that there's Disney music in the background. Right. It's probably going to get flagged. Exactly. Exactly. 
And I don't know if you, I, um, I constantly have on Instagram and my Instagram is a locked Instagram, but I have a video of my little nieces meeting Santa Claus. And in the background, a Christmas song is playing and it gets flagged once a year for a copyright infringement because of that Christmas song playing in the background. And they flag the wrong person because I always submit a rebuttal and I've got like all these cases and stuff and I'm like, this should be fine. <laughs> um, and then they put it back up. But yeah, when you have music playing, it gets flagged a lot. Thanks, Fletch. We appreciate you calling in. We did have a, a, a fun fact called in by a listener saying that Irving Berlin outlived his own copyright. Is that anything you've mentioned in your classes, uh, Professor Langtang? So, yes, I should clarify that, again, I think I mentioned that we rehauled the Copyright Act in 1976. Prior to 1976, we had a much shorter copyright term that was not linked to the life of the author. It was 28 years and then renewable for another 28, so 56 total, which is obviously much, much shorter. And so, yes, then prior to 1976, like Irving Berlin was, then it was very possible that you might outlive your copyright. But we switched that in 1976. And so now everything is is geared toward the life of the author. And then when we did that, there was all – it's very complicated. There's all stuff we did about all the stuff that got created before 1976. It's all gets very complicated. Um, but, yeah. We have one more caller. Right now we're listening to uh, Professor Stacy Langtain and Professor Richard Gershon, and we're discussing copyrights in music. Let's go to Mikey in Mobile. Mikey, we're so glad you're part of our show this morning. What's your question or comment? I'm not exactly sure, but I hope I can – come up with the right way to ask it. Um, uh, uh, sheet music, to me, is like when you're playing with a, a symphonic orchestra or a band or something. And uh, and the, the, I was really surprised, thank you for that fact about, you know, that 1971 change. Um, my question is, I, th- I think the word that I'm looking for is charts. Which um, you know, especially if you start messing around with jazz musicians and stuff, they start throwing around stuff, and they go, "Okay, here's a key, you know, here's a, you know," and they'll say, "Okay, play the one and three to five, you know, whatever, um, or, or A C sharp, you know, whatever," um, and uh, go. <laughs> right. Now, right. is that sort of the, is that sort of the thing? Uh, is that considered copyrighted? And the other question, and and then I'll get off. Uh, the other question is uh, background singers. I mean, look at look at the amazing stuff that Aretha's cousins did. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they really made. You know, um, is that kind of thing copyrighted, or is that considered in the, in the sheet music thing? Thank you yeah. so much. No problem. Thank you for your question. So two things. So the sheet music that you are thinking of that was covered by copyright since I think 1909. So in 1971, what changed was we, we covered sound recordings because when you think about it, we didn't really have recorded music in 1909, right? Like that was, you know, we didn't have, it was very early in the, in the technology, right? We didn't have like a vinyl record industry and then CDs and all that stuff came much later. And so um, that's what changed in terms of like, you're talking about with like jazz improvisation, uh, copyright requires, it only covers things that are in the terms of the statute fixed in a tangible medium. And what we mean by that is it has to be recorded or written down in some way that we can perceive it, which only makes sense because otherwise, if all you're doing is improvising something, right, how are you ever going to 
claim copyright over that. Like if someone two months later does the same improv you did and you're suddenly like, that's what I did two months ago, but you haven't recorded it or written it down, how would you ever prove it, right? Like, so you need to have some kind of recording made or you need to have written it down. With the jazz improv, you don't have to have written it down on sheet music, but you should have someone recording it, either audio recording or video recording to fix it in a tangible medium if in order to make that copyrightable, because we just, we just don't want people being able to walk around being like, I thought that in my head three years ago. So I own it. Right. Like we don't want that stuff kind of happening. Um, your second question about the background singers, you're totally right. Right. Like what goes into a piece of music is so much more than a single vocalist or, and a couple of instruments, right. There's usually a lot more that happens there. Um, it's a little bit unsettled because ordinarily what happens is the record label that is overseeing that sound recording has everyone involved in it sign their interests over to the record label so that the copyright of the sound recording is united in a single entity, which is the record label. And then the background singers and the people who have performed on that sound recording get paid on the back end in royalties if that's their arrangement or they just get paid a flat fee i'm not really sure what all their different arrangements might be but generally speaking whatever copyright interest they have if they have one which is unsettled but i think they probably do but anyway it gets assigned to the record label thanks mikey we appreciate that question our live broadcast, we have just heard Roy Orbison and two live crews, Pretty Woman. We've heard Michael Bolton and the Isley Brothers, Love is a Wonderful Thing, and Flame and Katy Perry. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast but you couldn't hear our songs on the podcast, though. But uh, you can also find the MPB Think Radio recordings at mpbonline.org slash radio. We are playing some snippets during our live broadcast with some of the songs that have had copyright issues, but the music is edited out for our podcast. So we don't want to infringe on any of the creator's copyrights, and we don't want to have to pay the royalties. But you can listen to these songs or hear a discussion of their copyright issues if you click on the links in this podcast's descriptions. We are talking about copyrights with our returning guest, Professor Stacy Langtang from Western New England School of Law. And we've got three calls on the line. First, we're going to go to Ridgeland and talk with Frank. Frank, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Yeah, good morning. I, my question is, yeah. Because of the pandemic, you know, a lot of churches started broadcasting their worship services live on Facebook. And some churches will list their CPLI number. But some churches will put on it, we do not own the rights to this music. Does, does putting we do not own the rights to this music legally cover that church from any copyright infringement from publicly broadcasting it? Um, so I... I can't offer legal advice <laughs> is my first thing that I should say. Um, but putting a disclaimer, I don't own the rights to this, in my view, does nothing under copyright law. Um, it's nice of you to do. It might make a copyright holder think nice things about you, but it doesn't mean anything in terms of copyright infringement. Having a disclaimer doesn't really mean anything for that. What I will say, though, 
is I am not an expert in this, but there are pieces of the statute that apply specifically to religious um, ceremonies and performances and things of that nature that might be in play. And I'm not an expert, um, as I said, and I'm like pulling this from my memory, but I know that there are parts of the statute that exempt religious organizations from certain uses of music. And so I I would think looking at that, that it's more likely there's a statutory thing that's a, that's applying to that rather than the disclaimer is doing anything because disclaimers don't really do anything in copyright law. Thanks, Frank. So what, what if we go back to Jay's football stadium thing? What if, you know, the church was playing some licensed pre-recorded song in the church worship service? Would Facebook not tag it and knock it off like they did Jay's football streaming? If it were in Facebook's database, yeah, probably. And would they be right or wrong in doing that? I don't know, because it would depend on both the particular license that the church had and also the statutory exemptions that I think are applicable to religious situations, which might only apply to live performances. But there were also some weirdnesses with the pandemic, right, where things got moved to the Internet um, and and I guess the point that I would want to make is that Facebook's system, I'm not sure, is robust enough to handle all of the complexities of the many, many different ways that songs can and cannot be licensed. And I'm not just calling out Facebook on that. I don't think we have any filtering on the Internet that can handle that. It's just too – there's too many different things in play. Well, and he mentioned it was different countries. So it's right. not only yes. our country. It's all the countries. Mm-hmm. that yes, currently have Facebook allowed to be uh, accessed. Right. And copyright is different among countries and the licensing might be different among countries. So, yeah. As Perf- you know, if you've ever tried to use a VPN to get at a Netflix show that you can't have here. So, yeah. Professor Gershon, did you want to say something about this? No, I just think this is so fascinating. I, I, I was surprised that, I mean, to me, like religious music, you just think, well, yeah, it's out there and everybody knows it's out there and, and people want to share it. But I, I never occurred to me that that could be, uh, you know, have a copyright and, and there would be infringements for that as well. And We've, also it depends on the song, right? Because if you're singing like Schubert's Ave Maria, I don't think that's under copyright anymore. So just sing it all you want to your heart's silent night, sing it all you want. Right. But then there's other types of church music that have been more recently written that are still under copyright. So, yeah. We've got a couple more calls to go to. Let's go to Macomb and speak with Mac. Mac, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question? Yeah, I had a question. Uh, back in uh, the 70s, I was in college and I recorded, I, I was a musician, and I recorded a song for a project I was working on. And then uh, many years later, around the mid-80s, I was working for uh, a television organization. Actually, it was for the state. And I was working as a producer. Uh, a friend, another producer friend, asked me if I would mind, he knew I was a musician, if I wouldn't record a song, a specific kind of a song for a project. And I said, sure, I'll do that. Uh, and I just kind of went through some of the songs I had. And I used one of my songs. Uh, and I do have a copyright on the song. Uh, spring forward years later. Uh, <clears throat> oh, well, back up. 
during the time I had recorded that song for a specific television show. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I went ahead and signed a release to allow them to, to use it for uh, a TV show. And, uh, I think the show aired maybe, uh, six or seven times. I don't remember, but it, it stopped airing. I moved on. I moved away, went to work in a different place. Uh, years later, I turned the radio on and lo and behold, they were with my music playing for a different show. <laughs> And I called uh, the station and told them, I said, uh, you know, I'd like for you to stop using that, all right, that we can work a deal out. And they said, no, uh, it was theirs because it was uh, based upon my job employment, which in reality it wasn't. And that, that's my question. Uh, I, I have a copyright. I uh, recorded the song, like I said, years prior to them actually using the song. Um, <clears throat> and I'm just wondering, you know, what the, what should you do in a case like that? Yeah. So, again, I can't give legal advice. Um, one thing I will say that I haven't said yet is if you have created something, you have a copyright as soon as you fix it in a tangible medium. So just, just know that that you know, you, you should, you can register with the copyright office and, and you should, there are benefits to that. There are incentives to that, but your copyright exists, whether you have registered it with the copyright office or not. So that's just something just that I, I haven't mentioned yet that I wanted to tell people um, in terms of, so it is a true statement that if you are an employee who has created something creative in the course of your employment that is generally considered to belong to your employer and not to you. There are exceptions to that. How do we decide if someone was an employee? This is actually another complicated question. We have lots of cases that try to figure out whether or not someone was an employee because that does have an impact on the copyright status and whether the copyright belongs to you or belongs to a corporation. There's also, I heard you say you signed a release. There's also contractual stuff that comes into play, right? So, um, there, whatever the terms of the contract are also would impact what they can do. Um, and, you know, again, not legal advice, but one thing I would just say is if you are concerned about this, you should talk to a lawyer who can give you legal advice because um, one of the fights that does happen is over whether or not people were employees. That is a thing that, that people do fight about when they are concerned about their copyright law. So um, that, that is a fight that people can have if they feel that they have a good case. So, yeah. Mac, I th thank you for calling in with the question. You have brought up quite a number of issues that anyone else who is facing this in the future would need to take into account. And it seems like you have uh, quite a lot of homework and a, a lot of different avenues to uh, follow if to resolve your situation. We're so glad that you called in on our day when we're talking about music copyrights with our guest, Professor Stacy Lantang. Let's go to Biloxi and speak with Craig. Craig, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or, qu or question? Okay. Uh, on, on the copyright for music, is there a bar that you have to reach to, uh, to file? Uh, where do you file? And uh, are there like patent trolls in music 
too. I mean, I mean, patent trolls is like it's to me is legalized extortion. Uh, and and uh, I was wondering if that carried into the music industry too. Yes. Um, I don't know about specifically music. I do know that we do have, we call them copyright trolls. Um, I know they do a lot of, and they probably, they probably would bristle at the characterization that they are copyright trolls. So I should say that some people will call them copyright trolls. Some people will say they are just, you know, enforcing their rights. Opportunists. Right. It happens. I know that it happens, that this debate happens around photographs. Um, I know also that there is often a lot of debate about um, companies that produce pornography will will file lawsuits against people for copyright infringement, and they will do this in in bulk. And some courts have raised concerns that they are doing that because people get embarrassed and they'll like shake down and pay the money, even though there might not be copyright infringement that is going on. And so there is the the United States judicial system in all aspects of law could use a little bit of tweaking always. Right. So that's just sort of, it's not just a, it's just, just a copyright IP problem um, that people use the judicial system sometimes for more unsavory extortion type reasons. Um, so that does happen. The first part of your question was about how to register the bar. Okay. So as long as you have something with a modicum of creativity, very low bar, not the phone book, more creative than the phone book, you can literally fill out a form and say, I've created this thing, you send it to the copyright office. It costs, I don't know, like 120 bucks or something. And the copyright office will probably approve you. They are looking more closely now at things like artificial intelligence. They're not, it's a mess um, that we don't, I need another six hours to talk to you about. But um, most of the time, as long as you have a little bit of creativity, a modicum of creativity, that's the standard, you can register your copyright. One thing I will say that we haven't really gotten into, but I think is important because it's important for all of these music copyright cases, copyright only protects your expression. It does not protect your underlying idea. So I oftentimes talk to people when I'm not doing music copyright and they'll be like, I had this idea for a movie. I had this idea for a book. That's great. None of it is protected by copyright. Copyright only protects your particular expression of that idea. The same is true in music. Um, And so if you have created a song and you've written down your song and you've recorded your song, great. But if all you have is an idea for a song, that's not going to be protectable, right? You have to have actually created a song. Um, and if all if your song is just a common chord progression, I don't think you're going to be able to get that protected either because a common chord progression is not going to be considered original enough. It needs to be more complex than that. Thanks, Craig. We appreciate you calling in. We've been hearing some clips from different Uh, sound recordings that have had issues with uh, copyright and they're not necessarily the sound recordings it could be the words it could be the music and my favorite is the John Fogarty versus John Fogarty for uh, his own music but thank you for being part of In Legal Terms if you've missed any of our program you can listen to our whole show at on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel it's also available on the MPB public media app as well as all of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. 
At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. We are talking today with Professor uh, Stacy Langtang from Western New England School of Law. We have one last phone call to get to today. It's Susan from Oxford. Susan, thanks for calling in to our show today. What's your comment or question? Well, thank you so much. A very informative show. I want to know if a person can do a lip sync of Elvis Presley for a class at school. Okay. Um, can't give legal advice. What I will say is that's probably, so the relevant piece of copyright law you would want to know would be fair use. And the reason that I went to fair use is because you mentioned school and um, under fair use, one of the one of the uses that we consider to be more likely to be fair is an educational use, a classroom use. And so doing things in classrooms often times are more likely to be considered to be fair use. And so that's an important thing to know about fair use, which is a thing that protects a lot of our uses of copyrighted works as individuals. Um, And what we are using the use, the work for is really important. So using when I use, I, as you can imagine, I teach this, I play these clips yeah. all the time in my classroom and I depend really heavily on fair use, protecting my educational use of all of this stuff. Oh, thank you. What about if it's videoed and, uh, and then you put otherwise. it on YouTube? See, now you're moving yourself behind the classroom realm, right? So once you, once I you add layers like of complication, right, like that makes it a more complicated, um, yeah, inquiry. People, people, what lawyers will say about fair use is like, I can never tell you a yes or no. It's always going to be, it depends. Um, unlike in tax law, where I bet Professor Gershon could give you a yes or no on your taxes. All I can tell you is educational uses are more likely to be fair. And then the further afield you go from just doing it in the classroom, the more likely you might run into problems. Thanks, Susan. Well, Professor Stacey Lingtang, we've loved having you on. We've got about... 80 seconds left. What what can you uh, advice can you give us for our our creative Mississippians to keep us uh, out of the out of the law suits? Oh, but I have no advice that will guarantee that you don't get sued in the creative realm. What I will say with 80 seconds left is just if you're looking at all of these music copyright lawsuits and you are a musician and trying to figure out it's confusing we are still in the law trying to figure out what is protectable about music and what is not. The Ed Sheeran case was really a case about what can be owned such that you can block other musicians from using that stuff, which is why Ed Sheeran was so passionately like, I need to be able to use this. It's a basic building block of music. Um, And that's what the fights are really all about. So you as a musician, you know a lot better than I do, what are the basic building blocks of music in your particular genre? And those things generally can't be owned that said the cases are all over the place so yeah and this we do not give legal advice but we'll encourage you to seek your own legal counsel thank you professor stacy langtang we're so glad that you joined us all the way from western new england school of law we appreciate you and your partnering with mpb throughout the years thank you very much thank you it was fun That's going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Our team consists of board engineer Jay White and call screener and podcast producer Abram Nanny. So for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. 
please join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We'll be right back.